So we now turn our attention to God's holy and inerrant word. If you have a copy of God's word, whether uh, in print or in digital or whatever, I pray that you open it. We are going to be in 2 Samuel 7 today. We're going to read the whole chapter. I know it's kind of long. Bear with me. Reading God's word is good for us. And uh, we're going to read the entire thing because I think it helps encapsulate just what's going on with David and the Lord. 2 Samuel 7. I think my page number is different, but it sounds like most of you were there right there. Starting in verse 1. Now when the king lived in his house, and the Lord had given him rest from all his surrounding enemies, the king said to Nathan the prophet, See now I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells in a tent. And Nathan said to the king, Go, do all that is in your heart, for the Lord is with you. But that same night the word of the Lord came to Nathan, Go and tell my servant David, thus says the Lord, Would you build me a house to dwell in? I have not lived in a house since the day I brought up the people of Israel from Egypt to this day. But I've been moving about in a tent for my dwelling. In all places where I have moved with all the people of Israel, did I ever speak a word with any of the judges of Israel, whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel? saying, Why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now therefore, thus you shall say to my servant David, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, that you should be prince over my people Israel. And I have been with you wherever you went, and have cut off all your enemies from before you. And I will make for you a great name, like the name of the great ones of the earth. And I will appoint a place for my people Israel, and I will plant them, so that they may dwell in their own place and be disturbed no more. And violent men shall afflict them no more, as formerly, from the time that I appointed judges over my people Israel, and I will give you rest from all your enemies. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom." He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the sons of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him, as I took it from Saul, whom I put away before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. In accordance with all these words, in accordance with all this vision, Nathan spoke to David. Then the king David went in and sat before the Lord and said, Who am I, O Lord God, and what is my house that you've brought me thus far? And yet this was a small thing in your eyes, O Lord God. You have spoken also of your servant's house for a great while to come, and this is instruction for mankind, O Lord God. And what more can David say to you? For you know your servant, O Lord God, because of your promise, and according to your own heart you've brought about all this greatness to make your servant know it. Therefore you are great, O Lord God, for there is none like you, and there is no God besides you, according to all that we have heard with our ears. And who is like your people Israel, the one nation on earth whom God went to redeem to be his people, making himself a name and doing for them great and awesome things by driving out before your people whom you redeemed from yourself from Egypt, a nation and its gods. And you establish for yourself your people Israel to be your people forever. And you, O Lord, became their God. And now, O Lord God, confirm forever 
the word that you've spoken concerning your servant and concerning his house, and do as you've spoken. And your name will be magnified forever, saying, The Lord of hosts is God over Israel, and the house of your servant David will be established before you. For you, O Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, have made this revelation to your servant, saying, I will build you a house. Therefore your servant has found courage to pray this prayer to you. And now, O Lord God, you are God, and your words are true, and you've promised this good thing to your servant. Now therefore may it please you to bless the house of your servant, so that it may continue forever before you. For you, O Lord God, have spoken, and with your blessing shall the house of your servant be blessed forever. This is the word of the Lord. Before we uh, jump into the sermon, let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time that we have to open your word. We pray that you would bless the reading and the teaching of your word. Lord, you are God. You are holy. You are awesome. I pray that your spirit would rest upon me as I seek to bring your word to your people. I pray all this in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Typically, we pray before the reading of the word, but I forgot and I'm sorry. But I can tell you there was a time that I thought I was going to be rich. I thought I was going to hit the jackpot. I thought I was going to win a grand prize. I was camping at a Yogi Bear camp with my grandparents. I was about 12. I thought the world was a wonderful place. And I thought I was going to win $50,000 from a bag of M&Ms. My grandparents said we could pick any candy from the store. With great scrutiny, I looked at all the different candies, and one caught my eye, a bag of M&Ms, that said, find a gray M&M, Win $50,000. Pretty good contest, right? I've seen Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. I knew this money was as good as mine. To this day, I still believe there was never a gray M&M anywhere in the world. But you couldn't convince 12-year-old Ken of that. So I tore open the bag, just one little corner, and I slid one round chocolate out. It's yellow. I figured I'd better let them come out one at a time. I wouldn't want to miss the opportunity or the chance that the gray one came out and I didn't see it. Slid another one out. Blue. This can't be. The gray one hasn't come out yet. Where is it? So I moved away from the group. I, I kind of went off into a corner and I started sliding out chocolate after chocolate. Red, yellow, red, blue, yellow, blue. And I thought to myself, no one is going to get their hands on my $50,000. No, at this point, I didn't just rip open the bag and dump the bag out to look. I slid each one out one by one. I determined that the gray M&M was coming soon. I didn't find the gray M&M. I didn't find it. Now, I am convinced this was a scam to sell candy to children. It's brilliant, just brilliant. But I learned a lesson that day that I often need to relearn in my life. Things don't turn out the way that you plan. Our theme today is this. God blesses the world through his people. And we will walk through this passage in three points. God is going to bless David. God is going to bless Israel. And God is going to bless the world. First, let's see how God blesses David, David, the king of Israel and Judah, just finished building his magnificent palace. And he started to build up the city of Jerusalem, building more buildings, make this city greater. 
And the word tells us that the Lord had given him rest from all his enemies. David was a fighting man. He was fighting wars and battles and having rest is a beautiful thing. When David is in rest mode, leisure mode, he's kind of different from us. Instead of thinking about all the things he could do in his leisure time, he thinks about how he can better benefit his people, how he can raise them to a better spiritual worship of the Lord. Sometimes I wish to be like David. My leisure time is not filled with thoughts of how I can bring people to the Lord as much as they should. Prophet Nathan tells David, Go ahead, intervene. Very quick. to build me. I have been moving from place to place with the tent as my dwelling. Wherever I have moved with all the Israelites, did I ever say to any of their rulers whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, Why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now at first glance, it may seem like God is upset with David or even that he's angry with David. You could read this and you could even think God is being sarcastic with David. But what is really happening, the Lord is reminding David that it is the Lord who's in control of all things. And if a physical temple was what God wanted, he would have made it so. Interestingly enough, the Lord also sends this message through Nathan. God could have spoken to David directly. Instead, he speaks through Nathan. Matthew Henry, the commentator, has a very interesting thought on this. The message came to Nathan that same night that Nathan might not continue long in an error, nor David have his head filled further with thoughts of that which must not come to pass. God might have said this to David himself immediately, but he chose to send it by Nathan to support the honor of his prophets and to preserve in David a regard for them. Though David be the head... The prophets must be the eyes by which we see the visions of the Almighty and the tongue by which we must hear the word of God. Nathan brings the prophecy to David. God speaks through Nathan. And this is clear that the Lord is supporting his prophet, the one who has come to bring the word to the people. And we we see the same thing today, right? It's important for us to remember that God still uses people to proclaim his word. The preacher, sorry, is giving a word of prophetic nature when preaching from the word of God. And while David is king, he is the head, he is in control of Israel, he must go to Nathan. David is humbled before God. And David trusts Nathan. Nathan Nathan and David are friends. And so when Nathan comes to him with this prophecy, David knows that it's true and can be trusted. The Lord is setting up something that David could not expect. David wanted to build a house for the Lord, but instead the Lord is going to build a house for David. Verse 8 and 9, Now then tell my servant David, this is what the Lord Almighty says. I took you from the pasture, from tending the flock, and appointed you ruler over my people Israel. I have been with you wherever you've gone, and I have cut off all your enemies from before you. Now I will make your name great, like the names of the greatest men on earth. We can trust the Lord to keep his promises. When God makes a promise, he keeps it. With the help of the Lord, David has done some amazing things. His list of achievements is long. You can read all throughout 1 and 2 Samuel of the things that David did. But the point in all this is that what happens in verses 8 and 9 here is true today. David's legacy continues to this day, and it will continue forever. God promises that it will continue, and he delivers. 
Oftentimes we can read 2 Samuel 7 and we can focus on the promise rather than the promiser. The promise is good. The promiser is great. And where David can be excited about the covenant, he sees another instance where the Lord is showing him that he's the one in control. While David is king, God is truly king. We have to remember that when God promises to do something, he does it. Right? When God promises to rescue his people, he rescues them. When God promises to save his people, he saves them. God's covenants point forward to the future. Throughout the Bible, God makes covenants with his people, and they're all pointing forward. When we read about God's promises, we must always remember to look forward. Remember, 2 Samuel 7, God's going to do three things. He's going to bless David, he's going to bless Israel, and he's going to bless the world. We've already seen how he blesses David, but let's see how he blesses Israel. And I will provide a place for my people Israel, and will plant them so that they can have a home of their own and no longer be disturbed. Wicked people will not oppress them anymore as they did at the beginning, and have done ever since the time I appointed a leader over my people Israel. I will give you rest from all your enemies. The Lord declares to you that the Lord himself will establish a house for you. When your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom forever. Your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever." Israel will no longer be a nomad nation. They will not have to wander from place to place, setting up the tent and then taking it down. Israel is also going to have rest from the weariness of battle. Perpetual fighting is rough. It takes a toll on the body and the soul. And we're going to see the next section after David Solomon is king, and we have an unprecedented time of peace and prosperity. Israel is growing wealthy. The, the, the world around it is growing wealthy. They, they say in, in 2 Kings that silver was, was plentiful and gold was very common. And there was peace. David has spent a lot of time fighting. And hearing that his people would rest would be beautiful to hear. And he would look forward to that. David wanted to build a house for the Lord, but the Lord is going to build a house for David and Israel. Now, after hearing this, David may have had a few thoughts of disappointment about not being able to build the temple. I love to have great plans. I love to plan everything out. Things don't often go the way that I plan them, but I think all the time. I'm always planning. David was planning something, and so, yeah, he might have been disappointed thinking about the grandeur of the building he could build to worship God in. But instead of being uh, disappointed, those thoughts quickly faded because David realized the full gravity of the situation. He realized what the Lord is actually promising to do. How does David respond when he sees that not only will he have peace, not only will his son have peace, but Israel will have a nation forever? How does he respond? Verse 18, Then King David went in and sat before the Lord, and he said, Who am I, O sovereign Lord? And what is my family that you've brought me this far? And as if this were not enough in your sight, O sovereign Lord, you've also spoken about the future of the house of your servant. 
Is this your usual way of dealing with man, O sovereign Lord? David often says funny things, right? Something bad happens to David, and all the people around him say, well, that's unjust, David. You should do something about it. And he says, well, you know, who knows? Maybe the Lord caused this to happen to me, right? Is this your usual way of dealing with man, O sovereign Lord? I love David. We can learn a lot from him. David humbles himself before the Lord because he sees the weight. He sees the gravity of what is being bestowed upon him. And he knows that nothing can compare to the Lord of the universe. And he acknowledges that. O sovereign Lord. David also understands that he used to be a shepherd. He used to, to, to raise sheep, to protect sheep, live alone. He was a small boy. But then is elevated to the seat of a king. Lord Almighty, God of Israel, you have revealed this to your servant, saying, I will build a house for you. So your servant has found courage to pray this prayer to you. David is the leader of God's covenant people, and hearing that not only would his line continue, but the people of Israel will continue. That is a beautiful thing. That is something a king likes to hear. Sovereign Lord, you are God. Now be pleased to bless the house of your servant that it may continue forever in your sight. For you are sovereign and you have spoken. With the blessing, the house of your servant will be blessed forever. You've heard a certain word probably a lot now. That word is forever. It is said many times in our text. It's a fun word, right? Forever. What does forever mean? Well, we humans, we use it in a variety of ways. We love to use the word forever, especially when we're upset with how long something is taking. Red lights, they take forever. Lines at the DMV or BMV if you're in Indiana, right? They take forever. Though the BMV is a lot quicker at moving people than the DMV in Illinois, I can tell you that. Lines at the grocery store, right? There's like 18 checkout lines. And what do we do? Oh, that one's moving, right? Because we want to be quick. We don't want to wait forever. Lines at a retail store. How about lines to use a bathroom, right? We wait in lines a lot. That's, that's something we need to work on. Either way, we use the word forever to describe things that don't last forever. How often do we use this word to describe something that is not referring to the beautiful eternity that we will have with God? I'm guilty of this. I use the word forever way too much. When David uses the word forever... He is looking forward to the future. He is looking forward to the good things that the Lord is going to do. And David accepts this covenant. I mean, he doesn't really have a choice, but he accepts this covenant on his behalf and on Israel's behalf. And this covenant is called the Davidic covenant. All right, that's what it's called. And this covenant is decreed to stand forever, and it shall. The line of David is the line of kings, right? David is king, and then his son is king. It is a lineage of kings. And the line of David is going to bring hope to the world. A beautiful promise from an amazing God. Now I know what you might be thinking. Wait a minute. The line of kings does last, but Israel does not. Right? If we fast forward a little bit, the, 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 the kingdom is going to be split after Solomon passes away. And you go a little farther than that, and the northern kingdom of Israel is destroyed. You go a little farther than that, 
Judah is destroyed. Jerusalem is leveled. Israel is about to be wiped out in a short amount of time. The last bastion of God's people. And they will be wiped from Canaan. Now we can think this way because this is what happens historically. But if we take into account God's words to Nathan and David, we realize that it's not the buildings that God cared about. It's the people. God wasn't concerned that the buildings would be pure and clean. He was concerned with his people being pure and clean. Israel forgot this. And thus they were punished. They were chastised for their iniquity. Despite the death and destruction, if you follow the line closely, if you follow the story closely, you will see that the promise continues. Even in the face of wicked kings and people, pagan world powers taking over the temple, destroying the temple, the physical buildings and walls of Jerusalem being reduced to rubble. The promise continues. The covenant continues. Warren Wearsby, another commentator, he he has this to say on this dichotomy. No matter to what depths the kings and people descended, the Lord preserved a lamp for David and for Israel. In spite of the nation's sins, God chastened his people. He disciplined his people, but he did not break his covenant or take his mercy away. David wanted to build a house for the Lord. Instead, the Lord is going to build a house for David and for Israel. Read Matthew 1 and Luke 3. The Lord keeps his promises. What do we find in Matthew 1 or Luke 3? We find the genealogy of Christ. We start with Adam. David's line is unbroken. And this brings us to the culminating thought. David wanted to build a house for the Lord. But the Lord is going to build a house for David. He's going to build a house for Israel. And he's going to build a house for the world and for the church. If we keep reading Matthew 1 and 3 and Luke 3, we see that it's not only that the line of David is unbroken, admits the physical kingdom being destroyed, but the Davidic line leads to the final and perfect king, the final leader of the people of the Lord, the one whose name is Prince of Peace, the one through whom the world was created, and the one through whom the world was saved, Jesus Christ. The Davidic covenant is the promise of yesterday, today, and forever. The Davidic covenant is the promise of Jesus Christ. It's a promise of the Messiah, the one who would rescue the souls of man. The one who would rescue us. And David couldn't see it. He couldn't fathom what the Lord was going to do. But he knew it was going to be good. He knew it would bring God glory in in the end. And it was enough for him. Here's the question. Is God's promises, are his covenants enough for us? Let's jump ahead. Fast forward 4,000 years, 2,000 years, and we're in 2022. We are the church. We are God's people. We are Israelites by adoption. We are adopted into the line of David. We are adopted and grafted into the lineage of Israel. What is grafting? Grafting is this really cool process where you take a branch from a tree and you sow it into another branch of a different tree. And they both grow. The, the, the great tree that is then has this piece attached to it, is that piece is now alive. 
That's grafting. When we think of adoption, we think of a beautiful process of a man and woman taking a child who has no parents into their home. This is a beautiful thing. This is not the adoption we're talking about. The adoption we're talking about here is not just being brought into this giant family, right? What we're talking about here is we are adopted as firstborn sons. Now, we've done this before. I think back in August when we were talking through Joshua, we talked about adoption as firstborn sons. Men, your firstborn sons. Women, your firstborn sons. Children, your firstborn sons. Why firstborn sons? Firstborn sons inherit the throne. Firstborn sons inherit the most in this time period when this is being written. The firstborn son inherits everything from their father. You are a firstborn son because you inherit everything from your father. We are co-heirs with Christ and our, our lineage, our lineage is that of the king. Our lineage is that of Christ. Our lineage is that of David. Everyone who is in Christ, all those who belong to Christ, we will reign with Christ. The Lord is going to bless this world through his church. That's us. We're the church. We are the church, and God is going to use us to bless the world. And we're not just here to live life. We're not just here to be born, to have life, and then to die. We are born for a purpose. And our purpose is to worship the Lord, to love his church, and to serve our neighbors. Our purpose is to worship the Lord as God. God's word commands us to worship him, for he is holy, he is just, and his love endures forever. There's that forever word again. Our purpose is to love the church. Jesus loves his church. He prays for his church. He died for his church. And after he was risen from the dead, he promises to return to take his church with him, where we will live with him forever. And our purpose is to serve our neighbors. Because God has blessed us with the Holy Spirit, we can go out into this world helping people, feed them, clothe them, anything else they might need. One day, in our forever home, we won't have any needs. People won't have needs. But until that day, we must serve. Worship the Lord, love his church, and serve our neighbors. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He does not change. His word does not change. And the way he uses us does not change. Through the line of David, God is going to bless the world. The Davidic covenant... It's more than just a promise of a great kingdom line, of a, of a line of kings where they'll have prosperity. It's a promise that is true yesterday, today, and forever because the line of David is the line of Christ. God was promising David something in the moment. He was promising he, he would have peace and have good life. He promised his son would have peace and a wealthy life. But what God was really promising, that there will be a day that the Messiah will come. And for us, he has. Right? We are the church, and God has purchased us through the blood of his son, Jesus Christ. The lineage of Christ is that of the church. And the deciding factor of who is in this line is not based on what nationality you were born as. It doesn't matter what color your skin is, what language you speak, no matter who your parents were. 
The lineage of Christ is the lineage of church because we are the church. We are together in the line of Christ, and that's what we're adopted into. Our differences are beautiful, and we can celebrate those, but we have to remember that we have one allegiance above all else, and that is to Christ. It's cool to know the aspects of your life and where you come from. It's better to trust in the one who created you and owe your allegiance to him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that we can read it and understand it and that you can use it to change us and affect our lives. Father, I pray for unity. I ask that our church around the world would be unified in your word, in your scripture, and in your truth. The world seeks to divide us, divide us based on petty things. But Lord, we know that our allegiance is to you. We know that our identity is found in you. I pray that you would forgive us, Father. We fall short of your glory day in and day out. We need you. We need your intervention. Father, work in us. Help us to worship you with our whole heart. Help us to love the church. And Lord, help us to serve our neighbors. Serving our neighbors is uncomfortable. We don't like being uncomfortable. Father, help us to like being uncomfortable. Let us serve your people. Let us serve those who don't know you yet. You are preparing a field. There is a harvest that is ripe. Lord, let us be found among the workers. We know the workers are few, but let us be found among the workers. And let us trust to your promises that as we read in the beginning of your word to the end of your word, that your covenants are true, that you fulfill them, and that one day you will bring us home to you. We pray this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.